Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Once again, it's so good to see all of you. We are blessed today to be continuing in our study of Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6 specifically. Last week, we ended by looking at um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. And so today, we're just going to pick back up in verse 16. So if you can, um, grab your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to jump right in, picking up in um, chapter uh, verse 16. But um, before we do that, let me just do just the briefest of reviews to kind of let you see where we're at and what's going on. So our first week, we began in chapter 5, and um, what we saw was this, that we, there's this church in Galatia, and this church was just, it, had, it wasn't a big mess, a lot of problems going on. Some false teachers had come in, they were teaching a false doctrine, there was division in the church, there was factions in the church, and it was really just a big mess. The church was one big mess, and so the Apostle Paul, he hears about this, and so he writes this letter to the Galatians to really to address all these things. Um, week number one, starting in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he really goes after, he goes after, he goes to war against the false teachers. He goes to war against the false doctrine. He uses some of the harshest language found in the New Testament. That was week number one. Then from there, there was a slight shift. We looked at this last week. He said, hey, yeah, the church is a mess. It is a mess. But some messes are worth making. And so he addresses the church, and he says, if you want to walk through this mess in a way that honors God, honors Scripture, then you're going to have to lean into love. You're going to have to use this freedom that Christ has given you to, to exercise love and to exercise service. We, there was the word, I think, in Greek, doulua, we're to be slaves to one another. And then in verse 15 specifically, it ended, it said this, if you don't do that, if you as a church choose not to lean into love, you choose not to walk in love, not to serve one another, it ends last week by saying, you will indeed devour one another. And that's kind of where we left it. And it's true, it's true. A church that doesn't serve one another, a church that doesn't love one another, they will devour one another. And um, it's not lost on many of you. Some of you would say, you know, I know that to be true because I was in a church or there was a situation that I was in where the church didn't practice love, it didn't serve one another, and the end results was they devoured one another. And we don't, we don't want that. We don't desire that. Now, here's what I think. After studying last week and thinking on that scripture, I Here's what I think. I think that we, as, as a congregation, as a people, I think we hear that. 
I think we hear the Apostle Paul say, hey, you got to love and serve one another. I think we hear that, and we unanimously, all of us, we say, yes, we want to do that, right? We want to be a people that love and serve one another. And so we hear that, and maybe you left last week, or maybe in the past you've read that, and you leave, and you say, I'm going to do that. I am going to redouble my efforts and attempt to love and serve those in my church. And you have the best intentions, and you start doing it, loving and serving one another, and soon you discover something. You discover that it's a lot easier said than done, right? It is. It is a lot easier to say, let's love one another, let's serve one another, than to actually do it. It's, it's really difficult. I, I was thinking on this. I would compare sometimes loving and serving one another in the church. It can be sometimes feel like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but maybe petting and holding a wet cat. You know, has, have any of you ever attempted to pet and hold a wet cat? You're le- it's interesting to me that more of you than I anticipated have actually tried to do that. And if you've done that, you know, it ain't fun. It's not fun, and it is not easy. It's not. It's not. It's not fun. Because, because, because it's not fun for you. It's not fun for the cat. you got claws coming out. you got fur flying. It's not easy. Likewise, I would say this. You go out there. You read this with Apostle Paul that says, I'm going to love the church. I'm going to serve the church. And then you go about to do it in, in your own ability, in your own self, and you find it's really difficult. In fact, you might even say something like this. I would prefer. I would prefer. If you give me the option, I would prefer to hold and pet a wet cat than to serve the people in the church. And it's true. Even on our best days, it can be hard to love and serve. It can. Not to mention a church that's in a mess. Harsh words are spoken. People have maybe just made thoughtless comments. It's difficult. And the truth is, The truth is, the Bible affirms over and over again that we in and of ourselves do not even possess the ability to love as we ought, to serve as we ought. And you start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on here? What gives here? Because last week we had the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul sitting there telling us we need to lean into love. We need to serve. We need to, to love one another. And I'm sitting and I'm reading the Bible. And the Bible saying, hey, wait a minute. You can't even do that in and of yourself. In fact, I've even discovered that it's really difficult for me to do in my own flesh. What gives? What is the answer? What is the answer when we're sitting there, we're trying to obey the word of God, but we're finding it very difficult to accomplish? That's what we're going to look at today. In these three verses that we're looking at today, we're going to see that. Paul is going to tell us, if God has commanded you to do something, as he has, we're going to lean into love. We're going to use our Christ-bought freedoms for the purpose of serving and loving one another. But we find that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. If you're in that condition, and we are, Paul's going to say, You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do it by the power of God the Spirit because you can't do it on your own. He's going to give us these three things that we must do if we want to accomplish what we've been called to do. This is altogether practical. This is altogether helpful. And once again, I believe it will give us the encouragement 
to do that which we have been asked to do. So let's just get into it. Let's, let's, let's see what the Apostle Paul says. Hey, because the Apostle Paul, he is, he, is, he is aware of the fact that in and of myself, I'm not going to be able to love like I ought. So here's what we're going to get into. Chapter 5. Verse 16, he just said, he just said last week, we ended on this, you don't love, you don't serve, you're going to devour each other. Now he's going to say this, you want to get it done, you want to do it, first thing he says is, you're going to have to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Here's how he says it, verse 16, he picks up. He's got three words they begin with. He says, but I say, all right? That's important. What Paul is indicating here is, this is my advice, right? You want to love, you want to serve, here is what I would have you do. And what does he say? Here's Paul's advice. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, Paul says, let's talk about that. I'm like, Paul, that's great advice. That is wonderful advice, right? You got, you got, you got this, if I walk by the Spirit... I'm not going to gratify the desires of my flesh. In this verse, you have both a command and then you have a promise. So let's break them down. Let's look at this. Let's look at both the command and the promise, okay? The first thing he says, the command. Here's the command. The first, well, the, the first, well, it'll be after the first, anyway. The first half, here's the command. The command is this. Walk by the Spirit. That's the command. It's incumbent upon you and I. This is the advice of Paul. He says, you're going to devour each other unless you lean into love, unless you, you serve one another, you'll devour one another. You can't do that in and of yourself. You're going to need something. What you're going to do is you're going to have to walk in the Spirit. Four words. It's important. Church, we want to accomplish this. I think we do. We want to love. We want to serve. We're going to have to walk in the Spirit. Now, I, I, I've thought on these words I've studied these words, and there's one word that really um, kind of stood out to me, and it is that word, walk. The word walk. I, I, this actually isn't in your... I didn't put this in the bulletin. It's in your notes, so you're going to have to follow along because I, I've kind of just been thinking on this for a while. This word, walk, is an important word. Um, I, am not, I am not what you would call a, a professional walker. I mean, I've, I've been doing it since I was a toddler, okay? But um, I'm not a professional walker. But here's the deal. Here, I'm going to tell this to you guys. Um, I am blessed to be um, married to a woman who likes to walk. So in my house, we do a lot of walking. It's what we do. Me and my family, we walk. We, we do a lot of walking. If there's any downtime in my house, my wife will say, Hey, guys, let's go for a walk. First thing you're going to hear is some grumbling. The second thing you're going to hear is people getting on their shoes, right? That's what we do. So we go on walks. And, and I was thinking about this. There's two things that stick out on my mind about walking. In the physical world, on these walks that I have gone on and go on, and you're welcome to join me on any of these walks, there's, there's, there, there's really two things that I have discovered about walking. And as I thought upon them, I think they have spiritual implications that will help us understand this command, okay? So as we're walking, as I've been walking, the first thing that I think about that the word walk implies is the word walk implies forward progress. All right, when you agree, forward progress. Um, it, it, because cause if you're not making forward progress, you're not walking, 
right? If, if, if you sit down, you're no longer walking. If you're standing, you're no longer walking, right? So it's forward progress, this whole walking in the spirit. The physical world walking, you're making forward progress. We're not told here to sit in the Holy Spirit. That's not the command. The command isn't to stand in the Holy Spirit. The command is to walk in the Spirit. That means making forward progress. Now, here's what I've seen in my life. Maybe you've noticed this too. Some Christians are not making this forward progress in their walk, right? They're not. They're maybe sitting or standing. I don't know. And there is a danger. I've seen this over and over. If you are not making forward progress, if you're not walking in the Spirit, there will be a tendency to get what I call spiritual um, nostalgia. That's what we'll say, spiritual nostalgia. And maybe you've seen this before, spiritual nostalgia. Here's spiritual nostalgia. Spiritual nostalgia is like, I don't know, man, you're, you're talking to somebody, and, and the person, every time they talk about God, they continually talk about things that God did 10 years ago, right? They do that. Like, like you know, when I was in high school, like maybe they're my age, right? They're like, man, when I was in high school, man, God did some killer stuff in my church. Or I went on a mission trip 10 years ago, and God was awesome, did great things. Or maybe eight years, I was in a small group, okay? They kind of have this spiritual nostalgia. Now, let me say this. I am all about testimonies. I love hearing what the Lord has done. But if you are not walking in the Spirit, if you are not making forward progress, you get caught in this spiritual nostalgia, you're never going to talk about what God is doing now. You're going to be caught into what God was doing 10 years ago. And here's the deal. I want to know, we should all be also talking about testimonies, but what is God doing in your life today? Like, I got to tell you, man, 1995, good year, but God didn't stop working in 1995. He's working today, and so we want to this walking, we want to have this forward progress, okay? Now, that's the first thing I've seen in natural walking. On these walks that I take, it always involves you know, moving forward, I would say as a believer, the command is we are to be moving forward. Don't get caught up in some spiritual nostalgic, nostalgic, that's not even a word, don't matter. You know what I mean, okay? Second thing, second thing I've discovered about walking, these walks that I have gone on. When you walk, you make what I would call, what I say is slow and steady progress, Once again, this isn't in your notes, but it's just what I've been thinking on. Um, So not only are you making progress, it is slow and steady, as opposed to rapid and quick. This is so important. I want us to understand this command. We are not commanded to take a sprint with God the Spirit. We're not commanded to to do a a 40-yard dash. The command is to walk in the Spirit. And I would say there's far too many Christians trying to sprint in the Spirit and they get burnt out. Maybe they do a whole lot of things. They get all excited and they, get bur- they do all these things and they get burnt out. But the command is to walk in the Spirit. And I was thinking on this in the New Testament. You don't see Jesus running anywhere, right? You see him walking, walking, man. And that's what we're, this slow and steady progress like 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 i may not be where i need to be 
But I can tell you, I'm a lot closer to where I need to be than I was yesterday. Slow and steady, right? That's what we want to do. And, and I get this. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I get this. I get this in the physical world. Because I go walking with my family and my wife, man, she walks faster than me. So every time we'll be walking, I don't know, 10 minutes go by, and I'm here, and she's way up there. Every time, I'm telling you, I say this every time, really, every time. I think it's funny. I'm the only one who laughs, but here's what I say. I say, Charity, baby, where's the fire? That's what I say. <laughs> Nobody laughs in my family at that anymore except for me. But that's how you know you're a dad when you tell jokes and only you laugh. Nonetheless, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Likewise, I would say this command, walk in the Spirit, forward progress. Forward progress. You're making, going forward, too. It's slow and it's steady. Okay, that's the command. That's the command. Now, attached to that command, if you're doing that, you're walking in the Spirit, making forward progress, slow and steady, Paul gives us a marvelous promise. You do that, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What an amazing promise. That is a promise for victory over the flesh. Victory in daily warfare. What a promise. In the original Greek, um, it's even more specific. It, It reads more like this. If you walk in the Spirit, you will in no way... Not a chance, absolutely not, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Boom. That's a promise. That's a promise. And that's, that's hooked back into what he talked about last week, this serving one another and loving one another. The flesh is not going to want to do that, but you're walking in the Spirit. That means under the influence of God the Spirit. You're making forward progress, slow and steady. You're going to have victory over the flesh. Here is a fact. Here is a fact. Everyone, everyone always acts according to their strongest desires. I'll say that again. Everyone always acts according to their strongest desires. In fact, you will never find someone acting contrary to their strongest desire. For example, and I know some of you are in your head, you're thinking, I'm I'm going to debate you. I don't know if that's true or not. It is. It is true. I'll tell you, for example, if you're here today in this church service, it is because your strongest desire was to be here. I'm not saying you didn't have other desires, but at the end of the day, your desire to be here was stronger than the other desires. Likewise, you can say it inversely. Those who are not here today, they had a desire that was greater than their desire to be here It might have been a legitimate desire. I'm not judging there. I'm just saying somehow, in some way, something pulled on them or set in them so that they had a greater desire to do something else than to be here. Now, knowing that, knowing that we are always going to do what our greatest desire is, we need to understand, as the text has said or alluded to, that you have the flesh and you have the spirit and they have competing desires. And they are in perpetual conflict. And that is what we want victory over. That is what we want victory over. The, the, the spirit, the spirit, your redeemed self, 
It wants to worship God. It wants to make much of Jesus. It wants to delight in him, and it wants his kingdom to come. You get to the flesh. What does the flesh want to do? The flesh wants to worship itself. The flesh wants to make much of itself. The flesh wants to build its own kingdom. So how do you have victory? How do you have victory over the flesh? You have victory over the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. First thing, that's what Paul says. Walk in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit, making progress, slow and steady, you will have victory over the flesh. It's the first thing we got to do. Walk by the Spirit. Then we get to verse 17. He's going to build on this. He's going to stack on this and continue to give us his advice on how we are to walk in love and lean into love for one another. He's going to say this. you got to fight by the Spirit. Fight by the Spirit. Here's how he says it, and we'll unpack it. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. That's what we just talked about. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Now, I want us to pay really close attention to this. It says, To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. All right? So that's the setup to this, this whole conflict, okay? That's what's going on. To keep you from doing what you want to do. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, hey, guys, guys, the fight is real. It's real. Like, we're not making this stuff up. It is real. And the fight is daily. And the flesh is strong. But no, it does not end in a stalemate. Because the, the Spirit is the victor. If you yield to the Spirit, you will triumph over the flesh. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The Spirit triumphs. I want to address that last part of that verse. There's an error that we're prone to make, and so I, I want to address it. It says, I want to say it again. He says to keep, I love that word, you, from doing the things that you want to do. The implications there is that the regenerated you, the born-again you, right, the new heart, the new heart you, that you, your desire, is the same as God the Spirit's desire, but you're being opposed by the flesh. Now, here's the error that some people may walk in unintentionally, so I want to address it. I want to make sure we think right. It's so important that we think right. I call this error, I made this up, I call this error the two-dog error. I don't, <laughs> two-dog error, it, it's made up. I don't know if that gives you comfort or scares you that I make up words, but nonetheless, the two-dog error. Um, I like that, it helps me remember. It's, it's actually called um, the two-nature dualism. Two-nature dualism that's long. It doesn't matter. Two-dog error. All right? Here's the two-dog error. The two-dog error kind of says this. The two-dog error says that when God saves you, right, that you don't have one nature, but you have two natures, so that you have kind of like these two natures residing in you, that he did not completely redeem you, that you're not completely made new again, all right? So you got kind of this well, they would say it's something like this. You got like this um, good regenerated you living inside of you. That, that's a, you, call, you call that the good dog, all right? 
And then you got your same nature. It's, it's, it's not regenerated. It's still there. It's still bad. And that's what you call the bad dog, all right? So you got the two dogs in you, all right? I don't know if that's PC. Either way, you understand. It goes like this. Man, you want your, 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 your nature that's good to, to, to be strong and do well. Well, what you got to do, here's what you got to do. You got to take care of the good dog. You take care of the good dog, the good dog going to be stronger, the good dog going to have the victory, the good dog going to be good to you, all right? But I tell you what, you, you, you feed the bad dog, that's part of your nature too. You feed the bad dog, the bad dog me, 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 you know, get better, get, be stronger, and then you're going to have like, it's like you got, you got spiritual schizophrenia. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that's all within inside of you. Now, I want to address that because it may sound good that you essentially at salvation have kind of a, a dualism going on in you. But here's what I want to say. As a Christian, if God has saved you, you do not have a sinful nature. You got no two dogs in you. You don't. You do not. Scripture is clear. When God saves you, you got to think this way. you got to understand this. You are a new creation. Not half of you. Not partially you. At your core, you're a new creation. The Bible said the old has passed away. All things have been made new. You are regenerated. You have a new heart. Not a half heart. You have a whole new heart. You're sealed by God the Spirit. You're a new person. You got new desires. The old has passed away. So there's not this two-dog error going on. You don't have two, two, two things. And that's why. That is why. And I've seen this. I've seen this in different tribes and different countries and different places, right? I've seen this. I've seen a man. I got Sarah. I've seen this. A man who does not love Jesus, know Jesus. He hears the gospel. Maybe he gets a hold of a Gideon's Bible and he reads it and he, God saves him. I've seen him. Maybe he's got sexual sin. He's got a terrible mouth. He's angry all the time. God saves him. And now he wants to flee sexual sin. He wants to speak correctly, and he's not anger, right? He's angry. It's a totally new, different person. Why? Because God made him new from the inside out. But it doesn't mean he doesn't sin anymore, all right? Now, this is where we get. I want to thread this needle carefully. It's not because he doesn't sin anymore. It's not. He still will sin. But it's not because he has two natures, it's because his redeemed nature, his, his, his redeemed nature still resides in the unredeemed flesh, all right? That's the battle. It's the redeemed self. Like, 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 like when you get saved, when God saves you and you obey God and you worship God, that is not contrary to your nature, right? To you are. You've been saved you're a child of God, nothing less. You're adopted into the kingdom of God. You still got this flesh. We reside in this flesh. It has sway over us. There's no doubt. It has sway over us. But it's not who you are. You're saved, man. You're saved by the blood of Christ on the cross if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. I ain't always going to be in this flesh. I'm not. When he takes us home or he returns, we receive a glorified body. Now, I will say this to make sure I'm saying this correctly and you understand it. I'm really just addressing your nature, your born-again nature, okay? It is true. Paul says that we're to make no provisions for this flesh. We're not. So don't feed the flesh. But that's not who you are. 
But don't feed it. And we are to feed our spiritual, our regenerated self. You need to be in church, be a member of a church. You need to be in small groups, growing, practicing your spiritual disciplines. But I want everyone to rest in the assurance that when God saved you, he did not partially save you. The works on the cross were not a partial work. He saves you. He makes you new. He regenerates you. New heart, new desires. It is yours. But until he comes home, we're in this flesh. We're in this flesh. Two quick things I'm going to say on this. Um, I could spend a lot more time, but I just want to say this. Um, Realizing you're saved. If you're a Christian, you are saved. Let me say this. This is in your notes. Victory today is not victory tomorrow. Victory today does not guarantee victory tomorrow. So we read this, we get all happy, and it's true. The, the Spirit is greater than, more powerful than, can overcome this flesh. But just because you got victory today, there is no guarantee that you will have that same victory tomorrow. This is a You can have the same victory, but you have to be in the battle. It's ongoing daily. That's why the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Old Testament, you got the children of God in the wilderness, right? Children of Israel in the wilderness. He gives them manna. How often? Every day. How much does he give them? Just enough for the day. So we, every day we're in this battle. We're, 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 we're praying and we're fellowshipping and we're growing. It's a daily battle and there is no room for pride. Um, I've been there. I've been there. I've experienced victory on a certain day over a certain sin. Woke up the next morning thinking that I will have victory that day. But by the end of the day, because I did not put myself in the position before God that I needed to be, I experienced defeat that day. we got to be Dependent upon him daily. Second thing I would say, this is important. Victory is, is by the Spirit's empowerment. Um, we, I, and all of us, I think, where we have this tendency, um, we try to do things in our own willpower. Now, there's some willpower involved, but victory doesn't come from willpower. Like, 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 like we're not able to just just muster up the ability, like generated in and of ourself. It is the Spirit's empowering. Paul says the victory and the ability to do these things are won by God the Spirit. Now we're to walk in it. Now that doesn't mean there's not effort required on our part. We got to submit to God. We got to pray to God. We got to yield to the Spirit. But the victory is His power. And I'm telling you right now, I praise God for that because my power gets me nowhere. Doesn't. How do I know this? Because I've tried. How many times have I tried? Well, every time I have tried, it has ended up in failure. It's through God the Spirit, all right? Here's the deal. The battle is real. The flesh is strong. But, tr- but church, never sign a truce with your sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not sign a peace treaty with this battle. Do not do it. The spirit is stronger. That leads into verse 18, the third thing he's going to say. It's similar to the first thing, 
little different. It's important. He's going to say, be led by the Spirit. Verse 18, here's how he says it. And once again, remember, remember what we're talking about. Remember what we're talking about. Leaning into love, serving and loving one another. We're going to do this. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right. We see here, if you're being led by the Spirit, you're not under the curse of the law because the Spirit fulfills the law. The Spirit conquers the flesh. The law does nothing but bring one big mess. And if you're a Christian, God has saved you, and God the Spirit resides in you, and you are not under the law. Here's the deal. We could say it like this. Everybody in the world, everybody in the world, is under one of these two sentences these two kind of um, systems. You got the law, leads to death, makes a mess, or you got spirit, grace. You're, e- you're, in, you're born in that, this one, but by salvation, by Christ's works on the cross, you are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. That is the spirit. When he saves you, he indwells you. I'm telling you, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be under the law. You do not want to be under the law. And you can say, hey, 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 how do I get out of that system? I'm born into that system. I don't want to be in that system. How do I get out of that system to the Spirit and under grace? All you have to do is to repent of your sins and believe in the works of Christ, and he saves you. Two quick questions that I want to say about this. When I read it, I think... First question, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? This is what I mean by that. What does it mean? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I think that's a good question, all right? Led by the Spirit is similar to walking in the Spirit, which we've already covered, but being led by has the extra emphasis of God the Spirit's leadership, all right? It means God the Spirit leads. When God saves you, He indwells you, and God the Spirit does indeed lead you. I don't think we all get this. I don't. Um, There's a lot of songs asking. (laughs) There's a lot of songs out there where people are praying that God the Spirit would lead them. Lead me, lead me. Here's the deal. If you're a Christian, he's already doing that. He's leading you. He is leading you. So, So you don't necessarily have to ask him, lead me. He's doing that. The problem is that you may not be following. That's the problem, right? I mean, he's leading. Maybe we should pray, man, help me see you. Help me um, to understand so that I can lead. Because, because I don't know, man, it's not like he leads like with a, a, a bit in your mouth, yanking you back and forth. Now, he's leading. He's out there leading. It's up to us to be following. We have an active part in this, all right? So, so, so that's, that's what we're talking about there. Second question, this is a good question. This is the last question we're going to ask today, okay? Here's the question. I, th- I think it's a good question. It's my question. Um, where is he leading, right? Like, like, where are you going? Hey, I'm walking in him. I got to be led by him. Where, hey, where are we going? Ah, right, cool. Where are we going? Well, 
I got some scriptures here. We're not going to go through all of them. But um, when, he, when God saves you, God the Spirit simultaneously um, enters you and he begins leading you. I've got eight things that he's leading you to do. Um, you can study them on your own. I'll go through them very rapidly. I'll tell, you exact, I'll tell you exactly where he's leading you if you're a believer. One, we've already saw this. Um, Galatians 5, 1, to freedom. Leading you to freedom. I got, um, well, under, I'm not for sure how I put it where you're at, but um, he's leading you to holiness. That's exactly where he's leading you. Anything that's not leading you to holiness, you're not being led by God the Spirit. John 16 says he's leading us to truth. Real truth. Galatians 5.22, he's leading us to fruitfulness. The fruits of the Spirit will be increasing in us, manifesting in us, growing stronger in us. Ephesians 2.18, he's leading us to prayer. Romans 8.16, assurance, assurance of salvation, assurance of who he is, assurance of what he's doing. Acts 1.8, he is leading us. Every one of us, if you're a believer, are being led to witness. That's where he leads you. Let me ask you this. You ever, um, you ever been maybe having a coffee or in the gym or just some random conversation and all of a sudden you feel an urge to invite that person to church and you're like, where'd that come from? It came from God the Spirit. That's where it came from, all right? Now the question, are you going to follow through? Because it gets uncomfortable. You're like, well, okay, I've just been led to invite him to church or her to church or to tell him about Jesus. Any of this, you know, where'd that come from? This is uncomfortable. Well, the question isn't, is it uncomfortable? That's not the question on the table. Of course it's uncomfortable. Of course it is. Why? Because I've already told you, this flesh don't want to do it. The flesh doesn't want to build someone else's kingdom. But you got God the Spirit in you, your regenerated self. He's leading you. Invite that person to church. Send that person a text message. Tell them about Jesus. The question is, are we going to follow and let him lead? Finally, Ephesians, there's more, but submissive joy, meaning we will submit to God and one another in joy. So, Paul's building a brilliant argument here. He's not finished. We're going to pick up again next week. But uh, yes, loving and serving the church is an impossible task if you're going to do it with your own flesh. It can be more difficult than petting a wet cat. But if we rely on these three things, the indwelling spirit that Paul just told us about, If you and I say, we're going to walk in the Spirit, make that progress slow and steady, right? We're going to fight in the Spirit, not by my own willpower, but by the indwelling power of God the Spirit. If I am going to be led by the Spirit as He leads me, as He tells me, Paul's promise, you can do it. Not only can you do it, you will do it, for it is an impossibility not to do it if you're doing these things. We can be a church that loves and serves one another for God's glory and our joy. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. 
Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.